So last week we began talking about some of the gifted men that has been given to the church, which will continue this morning from verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. So if you haven't made your way there, you can do that now. It says this, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. One of the sad realities today in much of the church is that so few who profess Christ seem to understand how God has situated the church. In fact, I regularly am made aware of this fact as people ask what we're about, what does our church do, and of course, inevitably, they offer their opinions as to what they think we should be about and what we should do. Very few really seem to understand the church. And what I mean really is that if you were to ask the average Christian what the purpose and function of the church is, they probably cannot tell you. If you were to ask what the purpose of the Lord's Day gathering is, they probably couldn't tell you. If you were to ask what the function and role of a pastor is, they wouldn't be able to tell you. And you'd get all kinds of answers, none of which you would find in Scripture. This is certainly true if we were to ask about the function and role of apostles and prophets and evangelists. There are a lot of folks who believe the church is really just basically a religious humanitarian aid organization. There are others who believe the Lord's Day service functions to attract as many unbelievers as possible. And then there are those who believe the church is not much more than a way to meet other people, to make connections, to build communities, and then to have some common ground with others. Sadly, none of these things accurately describe the purpose and function of the church, of the Lord's Day service, or of the roles of those whom God has given to the church as gifts, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. In fact, this week I decided to pull up several websites and I spent several hours looking up what people believe apostles are. It was very interesting, to say the least. One website argued for, that argued for the existence of modern-day apostles said that the role of an apostle was to be a motivator. To be an encourager to challenge and direct individual churches to move forward in their mission. Now, I neglected to state what they thought that mission might be, but there you go. By the way, that very same article actually started by saying that the modern day apostle does not teach on the same level as Scripture. Isn't that interesting? He went on to say that. Seeing the risen Christ is not a qualification of being an apostle, and that church oversight was not an essential function of the apostle. Although that was in his initial summation of what an apostle does. So even in the same article, there was contradictions. But I found it interesting that they acknowledged that there are no apostles like the ones we see in Scripture. 
So basically, they just made up their own type of so-called apostles. You know, it takes a bit of guts, I think, to acknowledge the truth of Scripture and then decide you don't like it the way God has done it, and so you opt to ignore the truth and make up your own thing. And I don't mean guts in a positive sense. Beyond that, because those who deny the truth of Scripture concerning apostles have to make up their own rules for what constitute an apostle, they can't even agree among themselves. Another website decided that they were going to give several characteristics of an apostle. Well, let's just hear what they had to say. One characteristic they said of an apostle is someone who lives a, quote, simple life. Well, there are lots of people who live simple lives. So if that author's aim was to be so broad that you could just name anyone an apostle that you wanted, they've succeeded in that. The next on his list is someone who goes through great trials. Well, again, that's incredibly vague. I'm sure each of you have gone through some great trials or know someone who has. In fact, during COVID, millions went through great trials. Beyond that, there are persecuted Christians all over the world who regularly go through great trials. And then what do you do about the fact that unbelievers regularly go through great trials? Do they qualify too as apostles? You see, the problem is when you reject the teaching of Scripture in favor of your own vain imaginings, you come up with really just a bunch of garbage. Well, another trait listed on that particular site is that apostles will have both calling and influence beyond their local church denomination. Now, at the beginning, I thought, okay, this one's a little more clever, maybe. Except then I remember that we live in the world where millions of people, because of social media, all have influence beyond their local church. So, does everyone with a large following on TikTok or, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, do they qualify as apostles? Maybe they seem to think so. And the list goes on and on. Various other websites, all conflicting data and information and guesses and thoughts as to what an apostle was supposed to be today. You could look at a hundred different teachings on so-called modern-day apostles, and in reality, all you'd get is a headache and mass confusion. As we said last week, a lot of this confusion and errant teaching could be avoided if we simply understood what the Bible means by apostle. You see, it doesn't really matter what you think an apostle is. It doesn't matter what I think an apostle is. What matters is what does... God's word tell us an apostle is. We spoke of how the word has a general usage, right? The fact that strictly speaking, it just simply means a messenger, a sent one, an ambassador. And there are several places in scripture where it uses this more common meaning to describe people in the text, such as Barnabas or Silvanus or Timothy. In the same way, right, if we spoke last week, if you were to send your best friend on that mission to deliver her favorite batch of 
chocolate chip cookies across the U.S. to the grandmother, they could be called an apostle in the sense that they're a messenger. That's the generic use of the term. But that's a little a apostle, right? But then scripture uses the term to describe a group of people who were very different. They served a specific purpose. They weren't little a apostles, as we're calling them, but they were capital a apostles. In other words, Christ himself takes a rather generic term, apostle, apostolos, and he applies it to a specific group of people for a different reason, with a different purpose, and gives it more of a technical meaning. This group had certain requirements that had to be met, and if they weren't met, then they weren't an apostle. We looked at those five qualifications, if you'll recall. The first one was that they had been called and commissioned directly by the Lord or recognized as being called by all other apostles. The second qualification is that they had physically seen the risen Lord. The third qualification was that they were given supernatural revelation of truth. The fourth was that they had been given the power and the authority to speak the very words of God infallibly. And the last was that they were given the power to work miracles. We spoke about each of those qualifications in detail last week, so I don't want to go into them this morning, but let it suffice to say that since these are the qualifications of an, of an apostleship, and it's impossible for someone living today to meet these qualifications, then there are no apostles today. There are no modern-day apostles because no one living today can meet the qualifications. Imposters, yes. Apostles, no. Now this brings us to the remark which I ended the sermon with last week, the fact that not only do we not have apostles today, but in reality, we do not need apostles today. And so this morning, I want to complete our discussion on the gift of apostle by considering the role of an apostle and to answer the question, why do we no longer need apostles today? Well, you should already be in chapter 4 of Ephesians let me reread our passage, but I want to back up just a little bit and read from verses 7 to 13 so that we have the context here. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So if we were to understand why the apostle was given as a gift, and subsequently why apostles are no longer needed today, we must come to understand the role and the function 
of the apostle as we see it from the pages of Scripture. So in a more general sense, we're actually told in that passage what the role of these gifted men are within the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are all given to the church for a purpose. And then in verses 12 and 13, we see the general purpose for all of these men. It says they they are for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. All of these gifted men are given to the church so that they can equip the saints. Now, each has a unique way of contributing to this equipping, but this is the general role, including that of the apostle. God gave the apostles to the church so that the members of the church, so that you and I could be equipped for the work of service. We need and needed instruction. We needed help, and so God gave apostles and these other men for that. These men were also given to the church as a gift so that the body of Christ would be built up. We saw that in verse 12. This is the general function of all of these men and certainly of the apostles. And the ultimate goal of this ministry by these gifted men is found in verse 13 and 14. Right Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Do you see that? This is the purpose and reason for these gifted men. It's so that the body of Christ can grow up in the faith. Someone may be 70 years old, And still be a child in the faith, being blown around by every wind of doctrine. And so his point here is these men were gifted to help people not understand what they think the text says, not understand what their perception of the text might be, but so that they would know what God's word says to keep them from being blown around by every wind of doctrine and every teaching out there. Yes, there may be a hundred churches on a street corner. And they may all teach a different doctrine, but the Bible is clear on what's true. And the apostles' function was to help you learn how to discern which so-called church is a biblical one and which one isn't. That was the role of these men. So that you are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the craftiness in deceitful scheming. So, we see the general role of apostle, which is shared with the role of all the others here. But as I said earlier, each of these gifted men fulfilled this role in a specific way. So what's the purpose and function of the apostle then? How does the apostle fill this role? Well, just before that, I want to make take the time to point out that the apostle was the first and arguably the greatest of the gifted men to the church, okay? And I don't mean in a hubris sort of way. I don't mean proud or in an arrogant way, but because of the role they carried. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and then he goes on lifting other gifts. 
So with that in mind, this morning I want to give you three primary roles of the apostle as I see them from the Word of God. Number one, the first role, and these are not necessarily in a particular order, by the way, is that the apostles were given direct revelation to God's people. The apostles were to give direct revelation from God to his people. Now, what's helpful to to define the word revelation? By revelation, we mean divine truth revealed to humans by God that has never previously been revealed. Okay? Revelation is divine truth revealed by God to his people that has never previously been revealed. If you'll remember in Ephesians 3, 1 through 7, we read where Paul speaks of receiving revelation. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister." according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, according to the working of his power. This kind of revelation is what we see in the Old Testament by the prophets and in the New Testament through the temporary gifts of the apostles. Revelation that had never been heard or known before. Now, if you want, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Let's look at something there. Galatians chapter 1, put your eyes down on uh, verse 6 there. It says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. That's interesting, Paul says that twice, right? Right back to back. He says, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So you see, these truths 
were not truths that Paul made up on his own as an apostle. The teachings of the apostles were teachings of divine revelation given to the apostles for the growth and the health and the life of the church. So, you, so one of the qualifications... One of the qualifications of a book being canonized into Scripture or recognized by the church as being the Word of God was that it was tied directly to an apostle. Why do you think that is? When you open your Bible and you open to the New Testament and you look through those books, one of the qualifications for it to be recognized as a book of the Bible is that that book had to be directly tied to an apostle in some way. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the apostles were the one given the authority to speak on behalf of God himself through revelation to his church. There's no error in your Bible. There's no missing books in your Bible. We have 66 books. They're there because the early church recognized that those 66 books were infallible without error and actually the very word of God spoken through the prophets and the apostles. Now, I realize there are other books floating around out there, but there's a reason they're not in the Bible. Because they weren't deemed to be the very word of God as spoken by the prophets and the apostles and those associated with the apostles. Now, quickly turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, we're just really making the case that the apostles were given a special and unique authority to speak revelation. 2 Timothy chapter 3, you all know this verse. We quote it frequently. I refer to it quite often. But I want to look at it a little more carefully just for a moment here. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Somebody asks you, what is scripture in that verse? What is scripture? Well, that's the 66 canonized books in the Bible, right? That's what we refer to as scripture. Who are the authors of scripture? Who are the author of those books? God's prophets and apostles, and those in close relationship with the apostles, right? In fact, if you didn't know, nearly half of the entire New Testament is actually written by the Apostle Paul. There are 27 books in the New Testament, and of those 27 books, 13 are authored by Paul. 14 if you count Hebrews. So we know what Scripture is. We know who had the authority to write Scripture, the prophets and the apostles. But I want you to look at the word inspired there. It says all Scripture is inspired by God. There's a lot of confusion over what that means, and there shouldn't be. The phrase all Scripture is inspired by God, that word for inspired is theonoustos. It doesn't mean inspired in the same way that we might say, well, I was inspired to write a hymn, or I was inspired to paint a picture, or I was inspired to 
carve a staff. No, it doesn't mean inspired that way. The literal translation of the word theonoustos is God-breathed. So the text literally says all scripture is breathed by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. You see, when you open up that Bible, you are not reading the words of men. You are reading the very words of God. Which is why we have such a high value here for the word of God. The revelation that the apostles taught was not their own wisdom. It was, in fact, God breathed through them. If there were apostles today, they would have the authority to add to this book. Because that was the authority apostles had. The only issue is that now this book says, do not add to this book. So that sort of eliminates apostles today, in addition to all of the other qualifications. The apostles and the prophets have that authority. And once the office of apostle and prophet ceased to exist, the canon of Scripture was closed. In other words, when God gave us everything God wanted to give us, it was done. And when that was done, the apostolic age ceased, and so did Revelation. If there was an apostle today, that person would have the authority to open his Bible and open it to the back and literally add to the pages of Scripture. But as we've said, that book now says at the end not to add to this book. It was interesting enough, in fact, the revelation was so great for Paul that God actually sent a thorn in the flesh to keep Paul from exalting himself. You ever thought about that? 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says this. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. This was the level in which the apostles spoke. There's never been an apostle who couldn't speak with authority. Number two, the second primary role, I want to give you this model concerning the role of apostles, is that the apostle was given as a gift to the church to do something very specific, and that was to lay the foundation of the church. So turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start with verses 17. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. It says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So remember, this is the Apostle Paul revealing what this mystery was 
that had been revealed to him for the first time. And this mystery was that now God is including the Gentiles into his church, into his family. And this is to what Paul is speaking. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So the church was brand new. The church was in its infancy, just a babe, and it needed a foundation. And so God gave the church in the very beginning of its existence, what we often refer to as the apostolic age. God gave the church apostles and prophets, and it was their job to lay the foundation of the building, to lay the foundation of the church. Now, this is another area where just a little bit of common sense and some critical thinking concerning what the text says should clear up a whole lot of misconceptions. For instance, how many times does a building foundation get laid? Just once. You build a house, you lay the foundation, and once the foundation is laid, you don't lay it again. You don't continue laying the foundation, no what do you do? You build on top of that foundation. That foundation is what holds everything together where it needs to be in proper place and order. And living in a place like Alaska where we get earthquakes, we ought to have a good idea and a good understanding of how important a foundation really is. If your foundation is poor, you could find yourself laying under rubble. God didn't use the imagery of a house concerning the church for no reason. The apostles and the prophets laid the foundation which only had to be laid once. You've got all kind of people running around the church today trying to relay a foundation on top of what the apostles already did. And that's just not how a foundation works. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11, the Apostle Paul says, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The apostles were charged with a unique and once-off task to lay the foundation for an infant New Testament church. And once that was completed, once that was done, once they laid the foundation, they gave all the teaching that God wanted to give, then the canon of Scripture was closed. In other words, once we got those 66 books, that was it. It was done. The foundation was laid. And the office of the apostles ceased to exist. And the reason it ceased to exist is because they fulfilled their function and their purpose. They laid the foundation. That was their role. Listen to the way Jude refers to the work of the apostles. Now remember, Jude's writing comes just before the very last book of the Bible. Verse 3 reads this way. Jude says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... 
I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Once for all. In other words, there would be no other foundation beside that which the apostles had laid down. And Jude, by the way, who was the half-brother of Jesus, writes this entire little epistle to urge believers to contend for the faith as taught by the apostles. So we see the foundation was laid, and as the New Testament goes on, what you find is the writers of the New Testament text referring back to what the apostles had already taught. That's the foundation. The third and last role I would present to you this morning of the apostle is that they were to demonstrate the authenticity of God's word through them by signs and wonders and miracles. that they demonstrated the authenticity of God's word through them by signs and wonders and miracles. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 12, we read this. It says, Because of the surpassing greatness of revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored that the Lord three times implored of the Lord three times that it might leave me. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. More gladly, therefore, I rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish you yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you, for in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am nobody. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And why do you think the Apostle Paul had to use that phrase, the signs of a true apostle you see satan has always attempted to imitate the real thing right though satan is evil he disguises himself as what an angel of light god gave apostles to the church as gifted men and so satan does what he makes counterfeits and so paul says the signs of a true apostle were performed among you by signs and wonders and miracles when Acts 8, 4 through 8, we see the Apostle Philip says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about and preached the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were given attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. 
We see the apostles proclaim Christ, and they presented this new revelation that was given them by God, and then they validated that message through signs and wonders and miracles. Now, if we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, listen to what this says, 1 through 4. It says, for this reason, we we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we would not drift away from it. Do you understand what he's saying is pay attention to what we've heard by the apostles, right? They're the ones laying this foundation. He says, for if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It says it was first spoken by the Lord and then confirmed to us by those who heard. Well, who were those who heard? These are the ones Jesus taught first, right? This is the apostles. And then what does the text say? It says that God testified with them. How did he do that? By signs and wonders and various miracles. I mean, this makes a lot of sense, right? You have a brand new church. All of a sudden you have these 12 apostles plus Paul, so there's 13. And they're presenting new revelation to the church, to God's people that they've never heard before. Firstly, and namely, that Gentiles were to be let into the body of Christ. And they're going all over these regions, proclaiming the truth that Christ is the Messiah. And God uses and gives them the power to work signs and wonders and miracles to authenticate both their message and their authority as apostles. And so there was a specific purpose for that. So the apostles had a special qualification, and they had special roles. They were called by Christ. They saw the physical Christ. They were commissioned by Christ. They were given supernatural revelation. They were given the power to speak words that were theonoustos, God-breathed, the very words of God. And they had the power to work miracles and signs and wonders to authenticate their authority, and their message. Those unique qualifications were because they had that special task and one that could only be done once, as we've seen in the text. They were given special revelation to communicate to people. They were to lay the foundation of the church. They were to use signs and wonders and miracles to authenticate the word of God through them and validate their apostleship. So you see... The reason that we no longer have need of apostles is because the apostles were faithful to complete the task God gave to them. They were given special, sorry, sometimes people will say things like, well, you want to put God in a box if he wants apostles today, he can have them. But that presupposes that the apostles didn't accomplish 
what God had them accomplish. And in reality, when someone says that, what they're basically communicating is, I have no clue what the Bible says about apostles. The apostles laid the foundation of the church. The text says that no other can be laid. And therefore, we have no need of apostles today. They gave all the revelation God wanted to give through them. We have a closed canon. If we believe God is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is, then we have to believe that he's given us all that he wants to give us. And we find those in the canon of Scripture. Everything that you need for faith and life and practice and holiness is found in this book. There's nothing missing. And people often say, well, what about this book or that book or this lost text or that lost text? Look, if you're telling me that the God of the universe wasn't sovereign enough, wasn't powerful enough to make sure you got everything you needed, then why are you even serving that God? Well, beyond that, his word tells us this is all that we need. So either God's not sovereign or you think he's a liar. Well, he is sovereign and he is no liar. Everything we have is in this book given to us by God's apostles and prophets. They gave all the revelation God wanted to give them, to give us. And at the end of this book, at the very end, guess what he said? He said, don't add anything else to it. He said, don't take anything away from it. And so we have no need for apostles today. The apostles proved their authority with, and message with signs, wonders, and miracles in an age where new revelation was being given while the foundation was still being built. And God chose to use those sign gifts to confirm that these gifted men were, in fact, communicating his words. And after that work was confirmed and after the foundation was laid, guess what? There was no need for those signs anymore because they had served their purpose. And so the sign gifts ceased with the apostolic age. There are no more apostles there's no more need for the signs to validate those apostles. There's no more revelation because they've given us all that God wanted us to have. So it isn't putting God in a box. It's very simply recognizing that God gave the apostles and the prophets for a specific purpose, for a specific time. And when they were faithful to fulfill that role, laying the foundation of the church, those two offices ceased to exist. And that was by God's good design. There are many gifts that still function today, but the sign gifts are no longer available, nor are there any apostles, nor are there any need of them. As Jude admonishes his listeners to hold fast, not to new revelation, but to the faith once handed down by the apostles, that is our encouragement today. The reason we don't need apostles is because we have what they wanted to give us. If you want an apostle, open up your Bible and read the text. You're not just getting the apostle, you're getting God's very word through the apostle. 
And so in that sense, we have apostles. They've just been dead for a very long time. If someone says, we have apostles today, and their very next action isn't to open the Bible and point to Romans or Corinthians or Galatians or whatever and say, here, here's the teaching of the apostle, then we can just assume they have no clue what their Bible teaches about apostles today. We have everything God intended us to have. If it isn't in this book, it's because it isn't necessary for your faith and for your holiness and for the practice of your faith. The Bible is sufficient for everything you need in this life to be a faithful Christian. We have the teachings of the apostles of old, the ones who laid the foundation once for all, and there will never be any others because their work is already complete. Let's pray.